Let's pray together. God, may that truly be the prayer, the passion, the desire of our hearts, that Christ would be magnified. That would manifest itself through the choices we make, the values that we embrace. May the glory of Christ be what governs everything for us, Lord. And I pray that we truly wouldn't be guided by feelings. What's easiest, most convenient, as I am want to do, my God, we truly would be governed and controlled by your truth. We'll hold fast to that. Boldly proclaiming your gospel, God, in a world that's dark, that stands against you, that hates the gospel, hates your truth, that we'll be bold, proclaiming Jesus to magnify him. I pray here in these next few minutes that Jesus would be magnified as we open your word. As we continue to learn from our brothers and sisters, the ones Spencer referred to just a minute ago, those who've gone before us, who've handed us the torch, God, that we would learn from them that your spirit would take their story, uh, their spirits, um, the words from these pages, God, and, 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 and take these things and just drive it deep in our hearts to sanctify us and change us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to bless us. Again, for the glory of Jesus Christ and the furtherance of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Turn to Acts chapter 4. And um, in this section today, we're going to finish up uh, at least what had become a very long (laughs) day for Peter and John. It started, as we reflected on last week, with a trip to prayer meeting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon that resulted in a great healing, that resulted in a night in prison, resulted in them being pulled before the Sanhedrin, and it was probably daylight savings time on top of all that, right? So, uh, actually, that would have probably been better. It would have been one last hour in prison, so I guess that would have been a good thing. So it probably wasn't daylight. It was the other one. They were falling back probably another hour. But uh, anyways, a long day. And what I want to look at today, I want to I go back and revisit just a few uh, verses, thoughts from uh, where we were last week, because that has great bearing on where we go this week. What we're going to see this week is the church's response to the threats of the religious leaders. So I want to go back to that here and just paint that picture, set that context, and then transition into how they responded in verse 23. But just to set the context a little bit, let's just back up to verse 21 of chapter 4. And uh, this is after they'd been questioned one time. They'd been sent out while the religious leaders conferred. Uh, They were in a mess. They were in a bind. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say And so um, they just decide, let's just threaten them further. So they bring them back in verse 21. And when they had further threatened Peter and John, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And when they were released, they went to their friends And reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The themes of authority and boldness that we've introduced over the past couple of weeks continue into this passage and the believer's response to the threats against them. I want to start with a historical non-World War II illustration. This is uh, Frederick the Great, who was the king of Prussia in the 1700s, so like 200 years before World War II. All right? Frederick the Great once called all of his generals together. One of them, Hans von Zeiten, had duties to perform at his church that night and communion to participate in, so he refused to come. Later, he was again invited to dine with all the generals and Frederick the Great. On that occasion, they all made light of him and joked about his religious duties and about the Lord's Supper. Von Zeiten stood and said to his intimidating ruler, My Lord, there is a greater king than you. A king to whom I have sworn allegiance even unto death. I am a Christian man. And I cannot sit quietly as the Lord's name is dishonored, his character belittled, and his cause subjected to ridicule. With your permission, I shall withdraw. There was silence, because the generals knew such a daring act could mean death. But Frederick the Great was so struck by von Zeiten's courage that he begged him to stay and promised him he would never again demean those sacred things. Boldness in the face of lesser worldly authority. That's what our brothers and sisters in the early church exhibited. So like I said, I want to go back and just set the context because this flows right into our passage today, picking up from what we skimmed over kind of at the end of last week. So I joked with Dave Snyder at the, at the, in the service last week, so that I thought the best way to put this was previously on Pastor Craig, season seven. Um, for those of you who are here for Dave's announcement a couple of days, you'd get that. If you weren't here, 
you didn't miss anything. Don't worry about it. All right, but uh, but so previously, right? We just read this. What had happened was Peter and John arrested. They're brought before the Sanhedrin, the most powerful men in Jerusalem at the time. And these men have a serious problem on their hands because they can't deny that something miraculous has happened. But what I want you to take note here is their hard-heartedness. A hard-heartedness that ultimately led to them leveling these threats against Peter and John. Beware of the hard heart. It's easy for us to look at these men and be like, what idiots, what fools. They saw what God had done. They saw a man who for 40 years couldn't walk, and they, they can't deny it. It says it right there in the text. They couldn't deny that something powerful, that something miraculous had happened. But they refuse to respond to God's obvious working, and it reveals the extent of the hardness of their hearts. I remember, I've shared this a lot. I'm not sure if I've ever shared in the context of a sermon, but I've used the example a lot in counseling sessions and so on. Uh, Philip Yancey uh, wrote Disappointment with God and, and The Jesus I Never Knew, several other really good books. I remember him relating a story. I think it was in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. And uh, he talks about a friend of his who sits across the table from him at lunch one day and says, Philip, I am about to commit adultery. And the, the question I have for you as I and it wasn't like I'm considering doing this. He's like, I'm, I'm going to do this. And he says, what I want you to answer the question is, is, will God forgive me? Is God able to forgive me if I do this? And Nancy thought, he's like, man, that's, there it is, right? How do you respond to this? And I, I believe that the Spirit just gave him the perfect answer. Nancy said, listen, said, God's grace is huge. It could cover any sin. But in essence, you're asking the wrong question. The question is not whether or not God's grace can cover y- your sin, the question is whether you harden your heart against what God has said and intentionally commit to sin. Will you ever want to come back? Because when you harden your heart against God, something inside of you dies. Something inside of you shuts itself off to the work of the Spirit. This is the nature, I believe, of all the warning passages in Hebrews. Beware of hardening your hearts These Jewish leaders, they see the obvious movement of God, and they don't respond to it. And we do have the same capacity, oftentimes in our own lives, to ignore God's clear instructions and clear calling and harden our hearts to what he wants us to do. So see, beware of that. What do they do? They offer these threats. They tell them, never speak again. They don't respond, they threaten don't talk about Jesus anymore. Don't speak the name. The tragedy in this, these are the spiritual leaders of Israel. So again, it just shows you where a hard heart can go. The spiritual leaders of Israel demanding that Peter and John not declare to their own people the truth about their own Messiah. That is so tragic. This is their Messiah, and their religious leaders are saying, shut up, do not mention that name. You see what a hard heart does? Not only does a hard heart often affect our own relationship with God, but a hard heart also has ripple effects. I've seen it over the years. I've seen it. I've seen it in youth group. It's amazing to me how the hard heart of one person can draw many others away from Jesus, and it's so heartbreaking to see that. 
Beware of the hard heart, your own and others. And if you see it in others, you call them out. And then you warn. You can't be around that person. They're going to pull you away. The hard heart is dangerous. So they bring Peter and John back after they confer and say, we don't know what to do. We have nothing to say, which again fulfills Jesus' promises to his disciples. I'm going to give you the words to say, and when you say it, those who stand against you aren't going to have an answer, and they don't. Completely befuddled by these fishermen, these uneducated guys. They can't handle them. I love that. They further threaten them, the text says. That's all they got. They further threaten them and then release them. I thought of my friend uh, Lisa, Lisa Carter. Uh, Lisa grew up in the Soviet Union. Her dad uh, was a pastor there under the Soviet regime. Her dad's name was Georgie Vins. You may have heard of Georgie. Georgie um, became so prolific and his arrest so well known that actually President Carter was involved in a prisoner exchange with the Soviets uh, that involved Georgie and some spies, U.S. spies, Soviet spies, and, and Georgie's freedom came through that prison exchange, uh, prisoner exchange with uh, Pre- President Carter. And uh, so, but Lisa grew up there in a lot of years without her dad as he sat in Siberia in prison. And as a middle schooler, she came and spoke to our, spoke to our youth group a few years back. And, and Lisa stood up there and she talked about when she was in middle school, middle school girl, out sharing the gospel on the streets. The KJB arrested her, brought her in. They couldn't hold her because of her age which kind of surprised me. I thought KGB could do whatever they wanted, Scott, but apparently they, they did have some. Um, but uh, they couldn't hold her, but they threatened her. And they said, you stop, you knock it off. If you keep doing this, when you turn 18, you're ours. They released her. Lisa went out the next day, middle school girl, started witnessing again. <laughs> they caught her again and said, you need to stop. <laughs> and she didn't. Prisoner exchange happened, she came to the States, but I thought, man, what? that's it right there. Stop talking. I can't. <laughs> I can't. And I love their response. They say, we can't help ourselves. We can't help but declare what God has done. Now listen, right? None of us sitting here, uh, we're not, we, we haven't seen a, blind, a lame man healed. We haven't seen a blind man healed for that matter, right? Uh, we haven't seen that. But here's the thing. If you have experienced the grace of God in your life, if your heart has been transformed if you've experienced the the truth that you are no longer declared guilty before God, that you now can call God your father and Jesus your brother, if you've experienced the new birth, if you've experienced the presence of of the Holy Spirit, you have experienced the miraculous. And you have the same duty and should say along with them, I can't not talk about what God has done because it is miraculous that he has saved me. He has rescued me from the kingdom of darkness and given me life and put me in the kingdom of light. I can't help but talk about that. And if you tell me to be quiet, I won't because that's the reality. God has done this. We have the same motivation to declare to our world, I will not shut up. I will declare, well, God, I can't help myself. This is what God has done. We see as Peter and John work away a couple of lessons. Why as they walk away and their response, that suffering is not a thing to be feared by the church of Jesus Christ. Suffering is not a sign of failure. It comes with the territory. There's sacrifice required. And again, this doesn't take us by surprise. Jesus told his followers multiple occasions, listen, they hated me they're going to hate you. They persecuted me. 
They're going to persecute you. A servant is not greater than his master. Accept it. But don't stop declaring it. Right? So they issue these threats. And they release Peter and John. What's the response of the church? We see right here, verse 23. When they were released, what's the first thing they do? They went to their friends. The translation, uh, other translations have it, they went to their own. They went right to the community of faith. I love this. The great apostles, Peter and John, they weren't these lone rangers. They, they weren't like, we can handle this. Peter and John, the great apostles, they go to the body of Christ. They know we need to do this together. Can't do this on our own. I love this. this these were their peeps, right? These were their, their people, the community. My church family is where I find mutual support and connection. It's the group where I draw encouragement from to deal with the world. People, they went to that place. I remember that. I loved my sabbatical. I love visiting other churches. And in those churches, we went to, those are my people, right? Those are my people, brothers and sisters in Christ doing the same thing. But I remember when I came back here and that first Sunday back and I stood up here to lead worship and I looked out and I'm like, this is my people. These are the people I go to battle with every week, right? That's, that's what this was for them. I've heard this from you. I remember Brian back in the fall, and those of you who heard Brian's uh, story here over the past several months, it was a rough, rough time at, at work, and there was a lot of stuff going on. I remember Brian talking at one point. I think we were talking about canceling the service or one, one time, and Brian's like, man, I just, uh, for weather, and, and he's like, I, I, I just need, I need to be with people of God. This past Wednesday, my, my, my wife, we had had a, a, rough, a rough day, rough couple days with uh, my youngest, and, um, and uh, Wednesday night, Started youth group and I'm looking around and Kathy's not there and and then and and she's she's back in my office with another mom, similar experiences, and I wasn't going to go back there and say, Kathy, come on, <laughs> come do your job. You're a youth leader. Don't be. No, I knew that what was going on back there was this. She was with her people, and they were talking, deciding rather than crying about things they were going to laugh about them instead, but but sharing stories and building each other up. That Peter and John understood that. We're going to go to my people. They faced it together. There's a word, Jake, you're going to have to help me because I forgot what you already told me. N-G-U-N-I. Say it. Huh? No. Nuni. Nuni. All right. Nuni Bantu word. Ask Jake later to say it to you. This word uh, is Ubuntu. U-B-U-N-T-U. Ubuntu. It literally means humanity. But often it's translated more, I am because we are. I am because we are. Doc Rivers was the coach of the Boston Celtics for uh, many years. In 2007, 2008, they won a world title. And one of the things Doc Rivers understood, they did what a lot of these NBA teams do these days. They bring in a lot of superstars to come play together. You know, LeBron James and the guy, these guys. For the Celtics, that had happened. They had Paul Pierce there, and they bring in Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, all three all-stars. And Doc Rivers knew that one of the things that he was going to have to do is is convince these all-stars that you guys have to play together and value each other over the individual. You're dependent on one another. And Ray Allen, you're just as important, that that seventh man off the bench, that sixth man off the bench, they're just as important. You need to do everything in your power to make sure he succeeds. And you need to do everything to make sure Paul Pierce succeeds. And there can't be selfish people on that team. And that word ended up being engraved on their championship rings, Ubuntu. You got to do it together. 
That's what makes you effective, right? Ubuntu. Peter and John understood this. They went right to their church family. We got to deal with this together. What do they do next? The church faced the threats through powerful corporate prayer. Prayer was their immediate response. They didn't come back and have a business meeting. They didn't say, let's have a council and decide, you know, I'll throw out a bunch of ideas how we're going to respond to this. Their reflexive response was to pray corporately. That is not often my reflexive response to challenges and struggles in life, right? Let's just stop and pray. Why don't we start here before we speculate, before we worry, before we attempt any problem solving, before we let emotion take over, before we even speak? Why don't we let our responses be influenced and conditioned by prayer first? That's what they did. They prayed together as a unified community. Again, we see this in verse 24. Lifted their voices together. You translate that literally, it's with one mind they lifted up sound. Sound, singular. They, plural, lifted up sound. United, corporate, prayer. Praying together is one of the most unifying things that we can do. We experienced this here in this room last Sunday night. Did we not? Those of you who are here? We get this tour of the world. Keith and Debbie and, and Dan and, and we hear Colleen talk about the prison ministry and Jody talk about um, um, King's Table and, and uh, Thailand and uh, it was awesome. We're like this world tour. And we'd hear from three missionaries or so and we'd stop we had their prayer, and we'd pray. And I was sitting right up here and I could hear the sound. Multiple voices Lifting up prayer requests, that's powerful. God heard that. And I'm sitting there thinking, all these voices praying to, but it's one offering coming before God and he makes sense of it all. He hears it all and he will respond to it all as his people powerfully lift up one sound. You're going to get sick of this in the book of Acts, but you cannot ignore, you cannot run away from the fact that corporate prayer is one of the most powerful things that the church can do. We can't avoid it. And I believe with all my heart that you believe that, that you value it, but I don't think you get it. I don't think we quite get it yet. Because corporate prayer together is one of the things that's the first to go in the busyness of our schedules. It is powerful. Learn from our brothers and sisters who went ahead of us 2,000 years ago. This is the best thing we can do. Before we have our elder meeting, before we have our business meeting, before we try to figure out what's next, let's just pray together. So Wednesday night in youth group, John Kimball. Usually as an illustration, John, is that okay? It doesn't matter. I already started. So uh, John shares about a friend at school, and John's like, I, I just felt God challenging me, so I, I've been, I started sharing Christ with this friend at school. 
And John was sharing some of the, the challenges and struggles with that. And, and I, I'll confess, oftentimes in the past, I would have done like, the normal thing we do. Like, okay, hey, let's make sure we pray for John. And, uh, and let's continue on. Here's the next worship song and launch into that, right? But this is just on my mind. And I just said, let's stop. Let's just stop youth group right here. And we have some people pray for John's friend, Asher. Right? And we did. And it was awesome. I had a youth group kid come up to me afterwards and was like, that was so cool that we just stopped and prayed. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we need to do that more. Their prayer was um, together. Their prayer was characterized by theological praise. I don't even know if that's a thing. I've never seen that in a theology book uh, Marco, you can, if that's not a thing, you can come tell me afterwards. But I, I was trying to think of the best way to articulate that. The, their prayer was theological, and, and, it, was, and it was worship. It, it was praise. Theological praise. Here, here's what I mean by that. They start their prayer with praise. They start their prayer with a theological and historical Perspective. This is the basis of their confidence. They didn't rehash their circumstances. They rehashed who God is. They don't pray for judgment on those persecuting them. They acknowledge God's sovereign rule. And this word sovereign, sovereign Lord, sovereign is the key word here. It indicates an understanding that the threats against them and the people who spoke them are under God's control, right? None of these events, none of these threats, the high priesthood of Caiaphas, none of these were outside of God's control. They didn't take God by surprise. They understood this. Sovereign. Then he used the word Lord. This is the Greek word despota. Sounds like a word we know. Despot, right? That's where it comes from. Sovereign despot. This is a fitting choice of words. It means Lord, Master, owner of a vessel. It's often used in the New Testament to describe the relationship between an owner and his slave. It's used several places. One of the most striking to me is Revelation 6.10. It's the same word. Remember in Revelation 6.10, it's where the souls of the, of the, the persecuted, the souls of the martyr, are, are, martyrs are there before the throne. And you know, they're not content. They're not content. Now, I, I believe that there is a joy that they have because they're in the presence of God, but they're not completely happy. And they're crying out, sovereign despota. It's the same word. How long until you avenge our deaths? Sovereign despota. The one who is over all. In the Greek, this, this, this doesn't carry the same negative connotations as it has developed uh, today. It's simply the one who functions as the master, functions as the ruler. Their confidence comes from an understanding of who the true despota is, and it's not Caiaphas. And it's the same in our world today. The sovereign despota is not the legislators who are putting things through that undermine God's justice and God's principles. They're not in charge. Our sovereign Lord is. So we can have the same confidence. 
came across this post uh, last week from, um, it was posted last week from a friend of ours uh, that we know through our CMED conferences, Kristen Jonas. She's a missionary in Ukraine. And she wrote this on February 25th. She wrote, yesterday was February 24th. A year to the day the Russian military escalated the war in Ukraine. As I sat down at breakfast with my students, one commented, so this is Ukrainian, this Ukrainian girl, this is the day that changed all of our lives. I never expected to be sitting in Poland as a refugee. I never expected to shed as many tears in the past years as I have shed. I never expected to live in four different countries over the course of the last year. I never expected sovereign despotai. I never expected my church in Kiev to triple in size. I never expected that so many people would trust Jesus as their Savior. We grieve as we also rejoice. In the midst of the horrific, the Lord, the despota, is still at work, and he is near, and he can be trusted. Kristen, go now. Please continue to pray for peace in the country of Ukraine and in the souls of her people. May their ultimate hope be in Jesus, who will always remain a strong rock and fortress, no matter what we may face. That's where our confidence is. God is continuing to do his thing. He is not bound by what earthly authorities do. Powerful corporate prayer. They acknowledge who God is, his sovereignty. They acknowledge God as the creator. You made all things. You made these people who are threatening us. Human rulers are powerless against the creator. This is a great place for us to start in our prayers, right? Note, too, that this praise is offered not because of what God has done for them, but simply because of who God is, right? That's where they start. Prayer like this, what it does, it does a lot of things. People often say, well, why don't we pray? God knows what's going to happen. God knows this is this. That's a whole other sermon. <laughs> but here's one, one thing that prayer does is it reminds me of my place. It places me under God's and under God's authority where I belong. It's a humble acknowledgement that I am powerless and that I am not the one calling the shots or determining the outcomes. Prayer is a natural response of dependency. So these are our kids when they're little. And even when they grow up, our kids come in the broken toy. Daddy, daddy, you fix this, right? Daddy, can you take care of this? Daddy, this happened at school today. Remember my daughter experienced something one night. She said, Daddy, can you come down and talk to me? Why? Because in their minds, at least at that point, Daddy can fix things. What I want them to learn real quick early on is Daddy can't fix everything, but there's someone who can take care of you. too. But that's it, that dependency. That little kid who comes to you when they're scared, when they need something, when they need something fixed. Mommy, Mommy, can you, can you help me? Mommy, can you do that? Daddy, that, that's, that's what this is. It's dependency. That's why I pray. One of the reasons. It's dependency. Daddy, God, Father, I need you. You need to take care of this. This is beyond me. I love this. They pray scripture. These words that David wrote by the power of the Holy Spirit. Quoting and praying scripture, by the way, this is a great discipline. 
If you're ADD like I am sometimes, you know, and you start praying, and then it's like, oh, and then it's like one train, and it leads to another thought, another thought. And by the way, the next thing you, you know, you're, you're thinking about a football game, and you're like, oh, my word, I just like 15 steps before I started, right? Uh, prayer. Prayer is a great way to anchor our prayer lives. Just praying God's word back to him. That's what they do. They pray Psalm 2. We don't have time to read the whole thing, but this is Psalm 2. Talk about, talk about this being fitting for their context. Right? Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is what they prayed. They claimed God's ancient truth for their own. They rehearsed these words, this language that they were given by God himself, the spirit himself, rage. Why do the nations rage? This is a great word. It kind of means a snort. When an animal has its angry snort of the bull, I'm not going to do it because it sounds gross. I'm not sure what, but you know, it's that snort. It means to act with arrogance, to be insolent, to rave. And why do they plot in vain? The believers saw the threats of the religious leaders as vain plotting, without any basis, without truth, without any real power. These are useless, empty things. This is an illogical opposition that makes no sense. This is a fruitless rebellion against God. Anyone ever see the Harlem Globetrotters play? You know, and uh, the, the team they always play against, the Washington Generals. They lose every time, you know, it's, it's all staged, right? But the Washington Generals, they, they put up a fight, they try to play, you know, and they're, doing, they're playing basketball, and the Globetrotters are just running around them, uh, making fun of them, doing all these passes, and, they, you know, they're turning around, they can't, and the Globetrotters win every time. The religious leaders, the authorities of this world are the Washington Generals. You could actually take that and expand it out in a lot of ways, but um, uh, they're hopeless. It's a fruitless attempt to defeat the Harlem Globetrotters in the basketball game. It's not going to happen. It's been scripted otherwise. And the same is true. God has set his anointed. The kings of the earth, these are words that set themselves. This is hostile intent. Notice the broad, the kings of the earth, right? Against Jesus. Jesus is always the problem in our world, isn't it? You notice people don't respond or react the same way to the name of Buddha or Muhammad. Whatever. It's Jesus. Why? Because he's the truth. He's the way, the truth. That's why people fight so desperately against him. But that's the one God has set on the throne. They turn their situation over to God. Verse 29, their prayer takes a turn here now. And now uh, their prayer shifts to petition. God, look upon their threats. They know. They've seen the hostility that was directed at Jesus and they understand that it has now been re-aimed at them. So they pray to the only one, God, you take notice. They pray to the only one who can deal with this adequately. They pray to God. They pray for boldness and for God to work. I love this. This is one of the great lessons to take away from here. Notice, they do not pray for their circumstances to change. That's an okay thing to pray for. But here, I think this is noteworthy. 
They don't pray for their circumstances to change. They don't pray to be spared from suffering. They know themselves, they know that in the face of the threats that they could be tempted to bow the knee, to shut up, to go into hiding. They pray for boldness. They pray that God will help them be faithful. They care more about gospel proclamation than they do their own comforts. Learn that. They pray for boldness. They just want to be faithful. And they pray for God to work. God, you do your thing. You extend your hand. You work. And we see lastly that God hears their prayer and granted their request. Three things happen in response to their prayer. The ground, the room they're in, shakes. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and they continue to proclaim the word boldly. Now, I'm not sure we should expect number one to happen <laughs> very often. It'd be cool if it did, right? But the ground shaking, when you look throughout Scripture, whenever the ground shakes, generally what it is a symbol of is God's presence. That's what's going on here. The assurance of God's presence. You can be sure, even if the ground isn't shaking, that God is present. The other two, we should expect 100%. I guarantee you, when we pray, when we're desperate for God, God will give us His Spirit and his fullness. He will fill us, give us what we and he will always answer a prayer for boldness. And we see that as the church is scattered by the persecution. The common people of the church, not ordained ministers, not missionaries, but we read and we're going to see this is a story of Acts. They scatter because of the persecution and they faithfully proclaim the word of God. God granted their request for boldness. It wasn't always easy. They suffered. Stephen's going to die here in the next couple chapters but they boldly proclaimed the word of God. I'm going to ask Spencer to come up. We're going to sing one last song as we close here. But listen, this church wasn't afraid, afraid to embrace hard. They weren't afraid of suffering. They just prayed, God, give us boldness. They went right to God as their source of dependency and their source of strength. Close with this story. Peter Cartwright it's a great circuit-riding Methodist preacher back, uh, back in the day. And uh, Cartwright was known for being bold in his speech. He didn't care what people thought. And uh, one Sunday, his deacons informed him uh, before the service, the church service, that President Andrew Jackson was going to be in the congregation. Knowing Cartwright was used to saying whatever he felt God wanted him to say, regardless of how people might react, they warned him not to say anything that would offend the commander-in-chief. Cartwright stood up to preach and said, I understand Peter Andrew Jackson, or President Andrew Jackson is here. I have been requested to be guarded in my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. The audience was shocked. They wondered how the president would respond to this. But after the service, President Andrew Jackson came up to Cartwright and he said to him, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. Jesus Christ is going to whip the world. And we as his servants can boldly proclaim the truth in all confidence of where this ends. Amen.